You are listening to a special pre-recorded episode of The Four Persons Show. Though we will not be taking live calls tonight, we want to answer any questions or comments you may have. Drop us a line at email at thefourpersons.com.
Okay, well, before I get started, I need to say two things. First, I am not a victim. I may fit into a bunch of the categories that our culture might put into a box and label a victim of society. I mean, I, I personally never met my biological father. That doesn't make my biological father responsible for any of the decisions I've made in my life. In my early years, my mother was living hand to mouth, and I, I can remember times being so hungry my head would hurt. Being hungry and impoverished may have set the circumstances for some of the choices I made, but I made those choices. Uh, I was schooled in the ways of the streets by gang members from the time I was like nine years old, and I made the decision to join the gang when I was 14. And, and contrary to popular belief, gangs do not have a draft system set up. I made that decision. From, from that point, each decision I made was calculated for me to climb the ranks. The, the violence and the, the chaos that I brought to the table was not due to a psychological disorder. These were decisions I made to advance my status in the gangs, in the streets, and eventually in prison. And my point is, I do not want anybody to hear this and think, oh, that, that poor boy, he never had a chance. I, I rose to a leadership position among very hard men within four or five years because I had the, the ability to quickly size up a situation, decide on the most expedient course of action, and follow through on that course of action before most of the grown men around me even knew a situation existed. If I would have put these talents and intellect into making better choices, into making better decisions, my life would have been an entirely different story altogether. I am responsible. I am responsible with one caveat, and herein lies the shocker. Most choices and decisions were, were or my choices and decisions were extreme. Jesus Christ was not my king, the gang was. Many love to hear these extreme conversion stories, how a gangster turned to God. But in reality, there are many, many men and women whose souls are headed in the same direction that my soul was headed in when I was trapped up in the web of Satan's army and doing his bidding. They might not be as extreme as I was, but their failure to accept Jesus Christ as their king puts them in that same boat that is settling on a one-way trip to hell. And no one else is responsible for their decision to stay on that boat. Each and every one of us are responsible for the decisions we make. And the decisions we make plot the course for our life, whether towards eternal destruction or towards eternal paradise. Second. I'm rewriting my book to include the last 12 years I've been out, and I'm, I'm trying to edit out as much of the vulgarity that I can without taking away from the story. I have about 150 copies left of the current version, which is not, I repeat, not appropriate for children. Um, there's only 150 of them, and if you wish to obtain a, a copy of this book, you can send a check or, or money order 
um, to one eight six four zero SM fourteen eighty eight Suite eight PO Box one nine seven Magnolia Texas seven seven three five four in the amount of twenty five dollars and this includes shipping and handling. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to fast fast forward through most of my earlier years, or else this would be really really long. Um, I was first incarcerated at nine years old for assaulting the uh, the principal at my school. I was too young to go to the Texas Youth Commission, so they sent me to the child psychiatric ward of the Austin State Hospital. It was crazy, no pun intended. <laughs> but I, I adapted, as I would learn to do throughout the rest of my life. This started an in-and-out routine of what I like to call the cycle of captivity. I ended up in Brownwood State School when I was 12 years old. I was the youngest and smallest kid there and probably got into more fights than anybody else. <clears throat> I, I landed in Gideon State School when I was 14. This was the only state school for violent centers at that time. I had been being groomed for the gang since I was nine years old, and it was while in Gideon State School in December of 1987 that I was initiated into the gang. Within a few months, I had recruited dozens and dozens of guys into the gang. I orchestrated a, a, a variety of ways for us to make money in the state school, and, and I used our numbers and our willingness to, to mob on entire uh, um, cottages in school or in the cafeteria to, to make others fear us and leave us alone. Um, I was supposed to be uh, in Guineans one year. I got there when I was 14. I got out right before my 18th birthday. I was only like I was only out like nine months or so, and within that nine months, I did some things that that caught the attention of some of our our shot callers in uh, Chicago. And after successfully handling some, let us say, sticky situations for them, I, I was given leadership over Texas at 18 years of, of age. I was soon arrested for uh, two counts of aggravated robbery and two stolen cars. I was given two 20-year sentences for the robberies and two 10-year sentences for the cars. Uh, but they were all running together, which means I had to do one 20-year sentence. Um, Texas state prison in 1991 was, was the most racist place I had ever seen. My organizational affiliation did not fit anywhere into the prison society. Because I refused to be controlled by the rules of any society, I found myself in a fight sometimes four and five times every single day. In 1993, while on the French Robinson unit, I fought one of the enforcers of a, of a Hispanic gang and uh, and I knocked him out. The next day, he tried to stab me in a in the sally port, and I took the shank from him and and I stabbed him with his with his own weapon like 21 times. I was placed in administrative segregation and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. I did three years in segregation, and there's a lot of stories I could tell you about segregation on the French Robinson unit between 1993 and 1996. It, it was a madhouse, and the, and the officers often used the caged-in day room as a gladiator ring, and, and they would bet on the fights. <clears throat> I got out in 1996 out of segregation and was sent to All Red Unit, another maximum security prison. Up until this time, I had represented my gang by myself, but while I was in segregation, I had decided when I got out, 
I will begin recruiting members. To my surprise, when I got to the all-red unit, there was a, a large population and uh, of one of the gangs that mine was allied with, and I was no longer on my own. I had gotten into a fight on close custody, and the guy had ripped my, my shirt. And when he seen my tattoo, he paused out of fear and surprise. At that time, I, I didn't know why. I later found out it was because of my tattoo. But it gave me the opportunity, and, and, I, and I knocked him out. That night, I received what is, is known as uh, kites, you know, um, several little notes from other members of the gang telling me to go to the rec yard the next day. <clears throat> I recruited Peanut, and I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but I wanted to say, by the way, Peanut is now becoming a Catholic. <laughs> anyway, uh, I recruited Peanut, and he recruited several uh, several more men, and within a year, we had a real movement going. Completely, I mean, we were completely changing the rules of prison society. We recruited members of all races, and our only qualification was courage and loyalty. There's a lot of men when I was in prison who can fight well but are cowards at heart. I didn't really care if they could fight well or not. If they couldn't fight well, I would train them. I just needed to know they would fight against overwhelming odds. I was sent to Beto 1 in 1998 and quickly established myself there. Um, I want to add that at this time, I knew that I should have been killed countless times. Up to this point, I chalked it all up to good luck. The Catholic services on Beetle One had absolutely no guards or any form of security at all. I began using this as a venue to hold gang meetings, but I realized that at any time this could be shut down due to the chaos and disruption during the services. I got with other gang leaders, and, and we began to enforce security. Uh, meetings were held before and after services, and during service, silence was enforced through the threat of violence. So during the services, all that could be heard was the voice of Father Held Paulson. Uh, many times it seems as if he was talking directly to me. I mean, eye contact and everything. And I began to realize that my good fortune of not having been killed was not necessarily due to good luck, but due to the mercy and grace of God. As, as I searched throughout my past, I was able to see that the number of times I escaped the clutches of death could not be attributed to luck. No one is that lucky. We set up an RCA, RCA class, and, and I began to ask questions, and, and Father Harold Paulson had answers, answers that made real sense. It was here that I learned God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. I was baptized into the faith November of 2001. Now, I had an issue that never before had occurred to me. I had created a monster, and I was the head of it. I, I carefully tried to ride the fence. I, I had my boys stop going to the, to the big uh, gang meetings with our allied uh, brothers, and, and, and we curtailed our money-making endeavors so that nothing we were doing was actually illegal, although almost nothing that we're, we were doing was within the rules. 
we, we greeted the other allied gangs with love and respect, but for the most part, we did not involve ourselves with, with gang activities. And that's why when I went to the recreation yard to lift weights one day, I was completely ignorant that a major situation was occurring. My counsel was requested, and, uh, and I advised on the most expedient resolution to the problem. A Hispanic had come to the unit who was a black disciple uh, in, out of Houston, Texas, and the, the Hispanics out of Houston were not happy about it. My advice was followed, and the, the Hispanic BD was to fight one of the other guys one-on-one, and that was supposed to be the end of it. It erupted quickly into a full-scale riot, over 400 men involved, and, and my instincts just took over. And I was I was caught in, on camera uh, in the disciplinary hearing. I told the captain I had no idea what was happening, uh, and I just found myself in the middle of it, which was kind of halfway true, you know. Um, he showed me the video footage, and I could see how it looked as if I was the ringleader. I was again placed in administrative segregation where I stayed for a year and a half. Now, this is probably the best thing that ever happened to my faith. I used this cell as a monastery. Father Harold Paulson brought me volumes of books to read. He heard my confession every week, and he brought me the blessed Eucharist. My faith grew in leaps and bounds. Right before I got out, I prayed to God, and I, and I, and I said, Lord, you know me. I, I want to believe that I can turn the other cheek, but I, I'm not so sure that I can, you know. And um, I had been on maximum security units the entire time while in prison. Uh, when I got out of SEG, they sent me to Ramsey, too. This is yet another miracle. This, there is no way a guy with my jacket should have been approved to go to a medium or minimum security unit. The chaplain there was a, a Catholic deacon, uh, Deacon Simon, and it was while at this unit that I became involved with the Brothers of St. Dismas, of which I am now the president over the Houston chapter. I met Deacon Light, and I, and I met Deacon Denny from St. Maximilian Kobe. I, I, I earned my, my associate's degree and started making decisions that led to me making parole in 2009. Now, I would love to say that it has been smooth sailing from there, but this conversion story is not quite over. <laughs> I paroled to San Antonio and began attending St. Gregory the Great Catholic Church. Uh, I was with a prayer group in front of an abortion clinic, um, and, and I needed a place to park my car, so I asked the cashier at the gas station, and she said yes. Um, after prayer, I would go and talk to her, and, you know, it was one of those 40-day-long things, you know. And um, and before you knew it, I, I was I fell into mortal sin. I still went to church, still prayed and everything, but I was in mortal sin. And sin is a cancer that destroys the soul. I, I began selling marijuana and, and pharmaceuticals, but I wasn't, I wasn't completely and totally lost because now I knew the truth. Um, I, I held down two jobs, and I, and I sold drugs on the side. I met another woman, and, and my conscience was really eating away at me. So 
uh, we got married. She was Catholic and I was Catholic, but we got married through the Justice of the Peace. Um, this, this went south real quick, and I ended up moving to Houston after I got off parole in 2011. <clears throat> um, Houston is where Deacon Denny is, and he talked me into going to an axe retreat hosted at the St. Maximilian Kobe. Completely, completely uh, just really got to me. Uh, I went to confession, and once again, I began trying to live for Christ. Uh, I was working as a materials testing technician and making about $15 an hour, and I used the, the, the small amount of money I was making as an excuse to continue to sell uh, marijuana. I justified it in my head. It, it wasn't cocaine. You know, it was a recreational drug, no worse than alcohol. So I justified it to myself. Um, also, at this time, I, I met Loretta, and she was going to church with me, and uh, she went through RCIA, and, and we got engaged. Uh, one night, I was selling a quarter pound, about $800 worth of marijuana, when a guy grabbed me from behind. I, just out of instinct, I threw my head backwards, striking him in the face, and as soon as he fell, I began fighting with the other three. All of them were armed with guns, by the way. Um, I pinned one of the guys to the ground and began to, to, to beat him without mercy, while the other three kicked me and hit me. Someone hit me with the butt of a pistol, which kind of knocked me silly for a second. As they were leaving, the last guy pointed the gun at my head. About six foot away from where I was kneeling on the ground, he muttered, this dude's crazy, before running off. <clears throat> this was God showing me that I was wrong, obviously, right? Uh, nothing is worth my freedom, and no amount of money is worth my life. Uh, I again went to confession and have never looked back at living that life since then. That was about six or seven years ago, I, I realized <clears throat> I realized that Satan will use any means at his disposal to convince us to commit mortal sin and then try and take our life. When I go back to the hood now, it's, it's to bring the light of Jesus Christ. I begin attending St. Maximilian Kobe where... Uh, my wife, Loretta, was baptized, confirmed, see, received the Blessed Sacrament for the first time, and we got married. Four sacraments, one day. <laughs> All in the same day. Um, my previous marriage was null and void, and void due to a lack of canonical form. Um, on, on the job, I worked my butt off, and I threw myself in the ministry, volunteering every every extra minute of my time in the, the helping ex-convicts reintegrate into society. I'm now the lead inspector here on the, the Aggie Expressway Project in Magnolia. I'm an associate publisher with Decided Excellence Catholic Media. Um, I assist at the Kobe House Reintegration into Society Program. And because of who I was, I still keep in contact with the brothers and sisters who find themselves still trapped in that gang culture. And I do my very best to advise them to make the right choices, to avoid bloodshed, and to demonstrate what Jesus has done in my life and what is possible if they align themselves with Christ the King. I have a YouTube channel, uh, Break the Cycle, Beat the Odds, that shows others how to live a good life out here dedicated to Christ the King. And and that's 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 uh that's me. 
that's my story. Hi, Terry. This is Jeffrey Fisher. I was just hey, wondering, um, when did you when did you realize that you had the spirit living within you, and it wasn't just a figment of your imagination? Um, I think um, so. I believed that I had the spirit in me, right? Um, and I, and I had the conviction. And and whenever I committed sin, I had the conviction, and and so I believed that I had the spirit in me. But when when Deacon Denny invited me uh, to that axe retreat, um, I believe that's when my ears, the, the spirit was always there. Uh, but I believe that's when my ears were opened. That's when the 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 blinders from my eyes fell away, and. Um, yeah, yeah, I believe that's that's when it happened at the actual retreat at St. Maximilian Kobe. I gave mental assent to the belief in, in the Eucharist at that time. Um, now, um, and I can't even really pinpoint. I think it happened when when the COVID thing first came out, and and I realized that I wasn't giving Jesus Christ the same intensity that I was given the game, you know, and, and at, at somewhere around that time, um, is, is when I, I started having this, this realization that every time I go and receive our Lord, I, I'm, I'm actually receiving our Lord. And, and that, yeah, that took me like leaps and bounds. Uh, now, uh, you know, when the devil tries to tempt me now, you know, I remember the scripture, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought that that, that, that raises itself against the knowledge of God. I, I think of that scripture and I think of the Eucharist. I do not want to ever again in my life have to not receive our Lord, ever so uh i you know i i believe it i it was sometime when when the covid thing started happening that that my my I, I really started to believe in in the in the real presence in in a, in a not in just a mental ascent but like every part of me mind body and soul you know yes sir my first name is tory and um i know terry very well and i'm i'm one of those guys that are, um, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm in between the gang or in between the street life versus actually giving your life up to our Lord and Savior. But what I will say is I watched Terry, you know, and his transformation, and it gave me confirmation that there is a God. And if I never knew that there was one before, I know one, that there's one now. And, you know, I, I even spoke with him and told him, you know, that I I've personally myself, you know, have actually used you as inspiration, whether you knew it or not, to actually get myself, you know, closer to the Lord and understand who the Lord is and what he does for us. And a lot of times, 
you know, guys that are in the game, you know, their ears are closed to these, you know, these things until their eyes are open. And it may it may be something that something as simple as, you know, your mother saying something or, you know, your father saying something that may wake you up. But a lot of times to the younger youth, it, that doesn't happen. It may be someone else that is close to them, their peers, that allows them to see and realize that whatever path that they're on, you know, that's not the path that the Lord has made for them. But I feel like that watching Terry, as it, you know, was a gift from God to me. And, and actually something that God allowed me to see to open my eyes and say, see that if he can do it, I know I can. Amen. That's amazing. Amen. That's, the Holy Spirit is at work in this. That is so powerful right there. And thank you for that, that call. Do you want to comment on that, uh, Terry? Uh, no, nah, brother. Hey, uh, boss, you know, you're in my prayers, man. And, and the next time you're out here, uh, in this this area, man, I'd love to take you to church and uh, uh, lunch afterwards, and and uh, you know we 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 could talk about some some really deeper things. Yes, sir, that's true. But uh, no, I don't I don't want to take uh, any of the credit. I mean, um, at the Kobe House, Deacon Denny, uh, uh, Tommy Picard, um, and and all of the 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 people at St. Maximilian Kobe. At Prince of Peace Catholic Church, I mean the the and like she said, it's us going and 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 you know uh, being there with the guys and 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 showing them the love of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. That's that's what that's what, yeah. And anybody who knows anything about prison, zero percent recidivism rate is uh, a miracle that that's unheard of anywhere. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, so yeah. I don't want to take credit for it because uh, Tommy Picard and and Deacon Denny do like way more than me. And those guys, um, um, Oscar and 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 Doug and the guys there. I mean, they, it was their idea to feed the homeless and you know some of the different things that we do in the community. The idea came from the guys that are there. You know, the Kobe House um, and then. I would like to also comment on another thing she said, uh, and that is, uh, you know, confession, you know, uh, the sacrament of reconciliation. Um, that is, I mean, if I, I mean, anytime I catch myself, even in a little white lie or if I cheated on something or, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I kind of, you know, did this or that, manipulated somebody. Man, I go straight to confession. I go straight to confession because it's in, in, in that sacrament of reconciliation, you're, you're confessing and, and, and God is forgiving you, you know. A certain man had two sons. The youngest said to him, Father, give me the portion of inheritance that falleth unto me. And he divided unto them his living. The youngest son gathered all of his possessions and went to a far country and there wasted all of his money on wild parties. After spending everything, there arose a mighty famine in the land. Starving! He was able to only to get a job feeding swine. He was so hungry, he'd gladly have eaten that slot. But no one gave him. I ran away from home and traveled alone down the dark road. My soul tried it on my own home too. 
can handle so that see you again. This evil within just would not resent. Then the aggression, stressing, wandering. Knew you were the best when in the desert wandering. Pondering why spiritual suicide. Took a look inside, realized I died. No surprise, be surprised. Stop me from coming back to you. Even though I knew in your mercy you renew my life. Thought twice on moments, hesitation. On wisdom got me living in spiritual salvation. In my hunger, I fell under the wicked one's spell. Got on a ship that sailed on a one-way trip to hell. Man, overboard I failed to my knees when I remember the glory of your presence. Lord, allow me to re-enter. When he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough food? And yet I'm here, about to die of starvation. I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I sin against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just make me as one of your highest servants. And so he went to his father. On my knees, begging, please, a million apologies. Little sins chronologically, no excuse for the life of little head. Cause he said became sin for a sinner. Gave his life for a loser, so I could be a winner when I call on his name. But it's not the same. Save my soul, so I'm the blame for jumping back in the game with my insane. The devil have the last say, not that easy, I chose the way, now I'm broken, I betrayed my Lord, my Savior, Son of God, Jesus Christ, even though I left you, please come back into my life, cry tears of shame, get back up, cause I'm not giving up, no way, just fight, gotta be fought, not worthy to be your son, just allow me to serve you, make me the lowest one, cause I know I don't deserve you, your place up in your kingdom full Torn and tattered soul, left walking like a giant. Now I'm crawling back home. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him in the distance. And he had great compassion on him. And he ran to him, hugging him with joy. The son said to him, He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he said, put the best clothes on him, the family ring upon his hands, and shoes upon his feet. Let us make a great feast and rejoice, for this my son, he was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, but now, now he is found. Terry. I've known him since Please he do. came to the Ramsey Two unit. And he is a conversion story that is just fantastic. I mean, I watched him when he first came to Ramsey Two, uh, all the way till today. And he lives what he says. He's just a fantastic person. Uh, totally involved in the Brothers of St. Dismas and helping others. 
I I have, and uh, I do want to give a shout out back. Uh, that was Brother Tommy, and uh, man, <laughs> uh, Brother Tommy came to me uh, when we were on Ramsey Two. We were both two convicts on Ramsey Two, and he said, "Listen, man, I got this idea uh, of a Catholic reintegration into society program." I got this idea for the Brothers of St. Dismas to, to open up a, a halfway house. And and uh, we he was like the architect of everything that's going on in, in, in Northwest Houston right now and the architect of the Kobe House and the 0% uh, recidivism rate that, that we're, 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 you know, uh, blessed by God to have. And uh, Tommy... Man, God bless you, brother. Donald, I'm I'm just numb. I'm just numb. This 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 testimony tonight is about a hundred layers of wow. I just I don't even know where to start. It, it's one of the most amazing, breathtaking stories I've ever heard. Um, it, it it's just so incredible that that. You were able to find yourself out of that place that you had fallen into. And Donald knows personally the absolute hell that has been my life over the last 12 years since since I found a deeper truth. And he's been the guy that's been keeping it going. Uh, and, you know, Kathy called in earlier and she talked about falling in and out of the sin of despair and Donald will tell you, I've, I've been to that place, what, about a thousand times, Donald? Um, and and now I look at what you brought to the table tonight, and I just, wow. If, if God can bring you back through what you went through, there's nothing he can't do. And uh, suddenly all the... I feel a tremendous guilt for all the doubt that I've had and all of my problems, as big as they are, family problems, as big as they are, are starting to fade into the background and, and I'm starting to realize there's nothing God can't do. And that's, that's the testimony that you brought tonight. And wow, I, I'm just in awe of your story and I'm just so happy to have you with our little apostolate. Oh, Amen. Amen. And uh, I, I second that, Terry, uh, because uh, just uh, with everything that's you, the the testimony, the word of our testimony, it packs a lot. It packs a lot in our example. We're known by three basic things, I think. We're known by what we say. We are known by what we do, and we're known by the things that we love. And if something is off keyed or on that if, if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing then what we're saying doesn't have the same effect if the holy spirit isn't behind what you're saying and what you're speaking it doesn't have the same effect but when you're living the life and i don't mean i, I love what you're talking about and you're stressing the, the importance of going to confession because all of us are going to stumble and fall but we don't give up we get up and we dust ourselves off and we keep going forwards. And that's what we do. And uh, it says Amen. in James chapter 5, 19 through 20, that if someone has gone astray from the truth and then another brings them back, 
Know that you have saved a soul from death and canceled a multitude of sin. And so, man, it, there's nothing that you can do that will take you away from the love of God. God's love is eternal and his mercy to those who call for it and ask for it. He wants to give you his mercy. In fact, uh, to, to the divine mercy, to St. Faustina, he tells us that the worse the sinner Amen. is, the more deserving they are of his mercy, if they ask. And so it's never too late, never too late. And so the, now is the day, as it says in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, you know, now is the day of salvation. So my encouragement out there to those who are listening to Terry's testimony tonight, don't put off for tomorrow what you know you should be doing today. And uh, I think that, and, and get with people who can help you. In the Catholic Church, I don't care what parish you're in, the priest can help you. The RCIA can help you. Here at Deeper Truth, <laughs> we stri- I mean, that's what we strive to do. And that, that is our mission. And so let me try to get a couple more callers. Uh, Mike from New Jersey. Uh, he's been hanging on here for a while. Uh, Mike, you got any thoughts or statement or question for uh, Terry? I, I most certainly do. Uh, I might tell you that about the time that, uh, uh, Terry, that you were in, uh, you were incarcerated, Prison Fellowship, which is a non-denominational uh, Christian organization, which was founded by Chuck Colson, uh, who was Richard Nixon's hatchet man, uh, they, they commissioned a study as to the recidivism rate uh, with people who have uh, uh, gotten involved with any kind of spiritual uh, uh, guidance uh, and the recidivism rate of people who had not. Those who had not, the recidivism rate was somewhere around 80%. The uh, group that they followed that uh, availed themselves of uh, spiritual uh, advice and followed a spiritual program like uh, like you have, the recidivism rate was less than one percent. Now, uh, if my dates if my dates are uh, <clears throat> uh, correct, I lived in Texas and I was uh, I was a broadcast journalist down there for some for quite some time. And I think your incarceration overlapped uh, as you were finding your spiritual equilibrium. The prison system itself was in for massive reform. If you, uh, any Texan who's listening to uh, my voice right now will recognize the name uh, William Wayne Justice. He was a judge who took control of the Texas prison system and ordered several reforms. As the uh, the Texas the debate was raging in the 1980s and 90s that uh, the Texas prison system should stop calling itself the Department of Corrections and start calling itself the Department of Criminal Justice, which ultimately happened because they can't correct mm-hmm. anybody. Well, if they didn't correct Terry. God did. Uh, what I, what <laughs> I wanted to ask you uh, what I wanted to ask you, Terry. Is uh, were you in as you were in, uh, in in prison? Were you aware of any of these uh, any of the commotion going on on the outside with uh, uh, William Wayne Justice and uh, and his uh, court ordered reforms or 
were you were you totally uh, kept in the dark on that? And how did that affect you and your search for your spiritual equilibrium? Well, um, I was I heard some of the talk. Um, I, I was on French Robinson when when uh, thirty FBI agents came into the prison and uh, escorted um, a few dozen guards off of the unit. Um, and that's I mean, I mean we ain't got but a couple of minutes, but I'd have to go in. Uh, it's a whole nother story about. Uh, some of the abuses that I myself had had suffered at the at the hands of of some of the very same guards that were escorted off the unit. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, I was aware that the the, that the feds were uh, were stopping uh, some of the uh, uh, rampant abuses that were were taking place. Amen. We got another caller here, Judy from Texas. She's a fellow Texan, and we call her Miss Judy. <laughs> Miss Texas, because she's she's uh, she's wonderful, and she says she's got a poem for you, uh, uh, Terry. For me. And, uh, okay. Yeah. She, well, she's got a poem, so uh, I hi. I wanted to bring her on. So, Judy, do you have yeah, besides I'm here. your poem, besides <laughs> your poem, do you have any thoughts about uh, oh, Terry's yeah. uh, oh, questions? Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, we'd need a whole show <laughs> just just for thoughts and questions from everybody. Um, Terry, honey, God bless you. My goodness sake. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm like John Danko. Uh, uh, <laughs> a thousand layers of wow. <laughs> uh, just, your story is is. They should make a movie, or you know, maybe something for television, it, because it's such an inspirational story. It's it's one of it's one of hope and trust in the Lord. Um, it, it's one of springing forth from from darkness into the light. Uh, it, it, it's just it's just amazing that God lifted you up. The Holy Trinity lifted you up out of that darkness, and you went with Him. Maybe sometimes kicking and screaming, but you went with the Holy <laughs> Trinity. And oh my gosh, um, you're an inspiration. You really are. And um, God has God has bless the world um with someone like you amen you got you got your uh poem i've got the poem god gave this to me a few years ago and um i think it i think it fits tonight's um program i had entitled it i was a sinner i was a sinner the lord knows this is true For he knows everything about me and you. I was a sinner, selfish to the core. All I had in life, and I just wanted more and more. I am a sinner, in need of Christ's dear grace. For how else will I be able to see his glorious face? Are you a sinner? If so, please understand that Christ is all-forgiving 
just reach out for his hand. Go to confession. Repent of sinful ways. Lighten your burden. Bring joy into your days. To all the sinners, beware the devil's trap. Inside seems warm and cozy, but that door shuts with a snap. Be on your guard and live as Christ has done. Join with the Savior, God's soul-begotten Son. Live for salvation, for freedom from your sin. Christ died so we may live in heaven above with him. Amen. That is wonderful. And thank you so much. Well, Terry, this has been wonderful tonight. Yes, sir. You know, uh, what a powerful testimony. I'm like like, uh, John and Judy. Uh, Not only do I say, wow, I say it backwards. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my. And so... Uh, well, before we to God be to God be all the glory, brother. If y'all want to log into my YouTube channel, break the cycle, beat the odds. It's my name, Terry Delp. Um, uh, check out some of my videos, and uh, um, if you want to leave any comments, if you have any questions for me, go ahead and put them in the comments, and I'll get to everybody who uh, who asks any questions or makes any any comments at all. Yeah, if they just mail a, a, a check or money order in the amount of $25 that includes shipping and handling, and you just mail it to 18640SM1488, Suite A, P.O. Box 197, Magnolia, Texas, 77354, or hit me up on my YouTube channel, and, and you know we can work out other methods. You are listening to a special pre-recorded episode of The Four Persons Show. Though we will not be taking live calls tonight, we want to answer any questions or comments you may have. Drop us a line at email at thefourpersons.com. 